Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Well, welcome to our Catechism class. And today we're looking at Lord's Day 46, question 120 to 121. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven. On Sunday the 3rd of January, 2021, the 117th Congress of the United States of America was convened in Washington. And in accordance with tradition, the inauguration of the Congress was concluded with a prayer. The person chosen to pray was Democrat Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, a representative from Missouri and an ordained United Methodist pastor. The United Methodists are one of the most liberal denominations in America. The congressman ended his congressional prayer with this sentence. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God. God known by many names and by many different faiths. A man and a woman. Now none of that is true. It is blasphemous and an affront to the God who reveals himself to us in Holy Scripture. God is not known by many names and by many different faiths. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them exactly how they are to approach God, what they are to say, and how they are to address him. The Heidelberg Catechist instructs us on what we should say when we come to God in prayer. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. we've started to look at the various petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And of course, the first of these is Our Father, which art in heaven. So what has the Catechist to teach us about this petition? Before we answer that question, let's read from God's Word in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to verse 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In question 120, the Catechist asks, Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father. His answer is, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. 
God has become our Father through Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. So let's look a little deeper into his answer. We address God as our Father at the beginning of our prayers, first of all, to make us think like children. Now you might think that we should think as sophisticated adults when we approach God in prayer, but that's not what we're taught. In fact, Paul refers to our coming before God using the diminutive term Abba. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And remember that Jesus himself prayed this way when speaking to that same heavenly Father. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Now remember, you can't come to Christ except as a little child would come. You come with simple childlike trust, just as if you were coming to a parent. And that attitude must prevail in our prayers right throughout our Christian life. How profound is it when we hear little children singing that chorus, My God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. May we have that same childlike understanding and trust in what God can do for us. So we address God as our Father to make us think like children. And we address God as our Father at the beginning of our prayers to remind us of our adoption into God's family. God is our Father, of course, in that he created us. But when Adam sinned and the fall occurred, mankind became totally estranged from God. We're born into this world as sinners. We're born into this world as the children of our father, the devil. But remember that when we are saved through grace alone, we're brought into the family of God. Not that we deserve to be in his family. We're not natural-born sons and daughters. We are adopted children. And we're given all the privileges of family membership, the rights of inheritance and belonging. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We address God as our Father to assure us that our prayers will be answered. We all have experience of having earthly fathers, or rather most of us have. We have a Father who will do what is right for us. It's a poor father who would make a fool of his child, or embarrass his child, or who would give a child something that would harm him or damage his health. But our earthly fathers are sinners like us. Our earthly fathers have a fatherhood that is only a very pale reflection of the fatherhood of God. 
our earthly fathers fail. And some earthly fathers fail spectacularly, and the children suffer badly as a result. Now, our Heavenly Father is not like that. Our Heavenly Father will always do what is best for us, even if we can't understand it at the time. John Piper wrote this, Jesus encourages us to pray by showing us that our Heavenly Father is better than our earthly father and will far more certainly give us good things than any human father would. There is no evil in our Heavenly Father. There is evil in every earthly father. Fathers need to hear this. Wives need to hear this. Children and grown children need to hear this. Now that's why we trust him. And that trust is evoked when we address God in prayer as our Father. Jesus explains this in Matthew 7 and verse 9 to 11. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Catechist points out that these basic attitudes are essential to prayer. We come to God as little children come to a parent. We come fully trusting. We come grateful that we who don't even deserve to have such a father have been brought into his family when we don't deserve such adoption. And knowing that our Heavenly Father knows us through and through, loves us, and will always do what is best for us. Now the Catechist has a second question about this first petition in the prayer. He asks in question 121, Why is there added in heaven? And his answer is that these words Teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. This second question has a very profound reply. We're not to think of God's majesty in earthly terms. We're taught in God's word that we are made in God's image. But sometimes we make the mistake of turning that on its head, trying to make God like us in our image. We want a God who's just like me, just like you. But the eternal God does not fit into my image or yours. God the Father is a spirit, not a sinful, mortal human as we are. Jesus taught in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When we pray, we say our Father in heaven to make sure that we do not think of God in human terms. He's different from me and you. Let's see how that's expressed in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 23 to 24. 
Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places, so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 25. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. We talk about our Father in heaven, to remind us that we're not to think of God's majesty in earthly terms. And just on that point, we should respect God's chosen personal pronouns. I'm serious. Back during the summer, an article in the BBC's online in-house staff magazine urged its employees to state their preferred pronouns on their emails. The Times reported the corporation asked staff to declare their preferred pronouns such as she, her, he, him, they, them. Apparently that's the preferred address for many trans people. Guidance posted on the BBC intranet calls it a small proactive step that we can all take to help create a more inclusive workplace. The BBC said, It lets colleagues know your pronouns and shows that you respect other people's too. It's really simple. I've noticed that some workplaces have phased out gendered language for gender-neutral terms, They've ditched Mr. and Mrs. titles for Ms. and Mix. And they've dropped phrases like ladies and gentlemen. In fact, in one wedding venue here in Northern Ireland, the phrase bride and groom is now banned in favour of the wedding couple, whatever that is. In this society in which we live, in the 21st century, it is a serious societal error to misgender someone. Strangely, though, the very same liberals who insist on respecting people's stated pronouns never want to respect God's stated pronouns, or so it seems. God is a spirit, but in his word he has revealed himself to us as a father, as a king, as a husband, And when he sent us the Saviour, he sent us a man. He sent us Jesus. God commands his people to address him as our Father, never as our Mother God, like some liberals do. God's perfect self-disclosure is as a man, a father. And we should respect his stated pronouns. Not only does this second question, question 121, remind us that we're not to think of God's majesty in earthly terms, but to remind us that God is reliable and trustworthy, and we can fully depend on him. Because God is our Heavenly Father, 
and because he is much greater, much higher, much more majestic, more powerful than us, we pray, knowing that he is able to provide for everything that we need, for all our bodily and spiritual needs. No verse sums this up better than Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So when we pray, Jesus teaches us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Prayer from A Way to Pray by Matthew Henry. Enable us to come to you with humble boldness and confidence, as to a tender father who spares us, as a man spares his son, who faithfully serves and honours him. Encourage us with the knowledge that you love us as our Father, and that we also have someone who is constantly speaking to you on our behalf. Despite the evil of every earthly parent, they all know how to give good gifts to their children when they ask them. So with much more confidence in you as our Heavenly Father, we ask you to give us the Holy Spirit. Loving Heavenly Father, pour out on us the Spirit of grace and supplication. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.